welcome to another episode of Cisco Champions Radio. Today, we have a delightful group of folks. And I say that genuinely because like, I find them all delightful. Um, so I'll, I'll just, actually, I should say who I am. I'm Lauren Martin Friedman Albert, and I'm cracking myself and Paul up. Paul, who are you? What do you do? Hang on a second. I got to get the laugh out. No. Okay. Uh, I'm Paul Giblin. I'm a distinguished engineer with Presidio. Um, I focus on enterprise architecture for my customer base and uh, helping them match their business problems to technical solutions. My name is Ken Partridge. I work at WTI, a company you've never heard of before. We do out-of-band management and power distribution units. Cool. Great. Miho Semi I'm a Cisco champion 2020. Woo-hoo. I work for, uh, yeah. Ooh. Right. I work for uh, ITRON, industry-leading IoT company in smart grids. Um, my role is mainly around globally network and uh, cloud security. I'm Tim Segetti. I'm a principal engineer uh, in technical marketing for IoTBU and Cisco Systems. Very happy to be here. Awesome, thank you. All right, so I hear we're like interneting things together. What All thing- sorts of things. <laughs> what things are you interneting? <laughs> what sort of things would you like to internet? Uh, uh, okay, so new new topic. New topic. Well, okay, yeah. let's be careful. Okay, yeah, well, everything you know, and so. From consumer appliances we're interneting to uh, all sorts of devices and building automations to connected roadways, connected cities, and in manufacturing especially, there's a whole world of opportunity to digitally transform any given industry uh, using these technologies. So the the industrial automation is a really big area. We would want to. We had some really big announcements earlier today. I'd love to talk about that, Lauren. So, so we're not going to talk about like watches and home stuff. <laughs> Thank God. We could, but it's yeah, not as the, fun as the, the cool, cool stuff. stuff we want to yeah, talk the about. Big machines doing big things and small. Anyways. Yeah. All right, Paul, why don't you kick us off? So as you said, there's some pretty cool announcements that, that were made this morning around uh, OT security. And I was doing a little bit of reading lately about some of the OT breaches that have happened in the recent past, and in particular, NotPetya, which took down you know major giants like Maersk and Cinco and Merck, the pharmaceutical company, uh, did a whole lot of damage. Uh, CryptoLocker, a whole lot of platforms, looked like ransomware, except there was no key. So even if you tried to pay the ransom, you couldn't. And its impact was, was largely on the OT side. So with some of the announcements that Liz made this morning with CyberVision, I, I'd like to hear what... Sorry, I was starting to interrupt you because this will be published sometime in the future. So it's this morning as of... January. I was like April. Go on. Sorry. Continue. You can edit that all together. Yeah. Okay. okay. It'll sound good. <laughs> <laughs> I broke our champion. <laughs> so there were some announcements made yes. around CyberVision and uh, some of the, the cool security technology that it's bringing to the market. And I'd like to hear about. Uh, how it could potentially help thwart some of these attacks or help uh, identify and mitigate some of the risk to businesses today. No, you're absolutely right, Paul. You make some very, very good points. And so um, cyber attacks have been around for decades, but what you specifically zeroed in on are OT cyber attacks. And this is a phenomenon that's just one decade old. The first ever OT-directed cyber attack is a well-known one. It's called uh, Stuxnet. It's a nation-state attack directed against uh, harming the Iranian nuclear program. And it was malware, and it was uh, 
exploiting multiple day zero attacks. And the systems that it wanted to control were completely air-gapped. And that's a very interesting point, because how then do you attack and cause malware on a system where people think, hey, as long as we're not connected to the internet, we're completely safe. Well, they got this malware into one of the five contractors that had dealings with the program, and it spread laterally, and then attacked specifically in that case, uh, Siemens programmable logic controllers. And basically, these logic controllers will control the machines, and tell, the machines just obey them without question and said, you know, these centrifuges that you're spinning around rapidly in this uh, nuclear process, spin them around faster than usual to the point where they actually literally self-destructed. So this was a very novel, scary thing because now for the first time we see the potential effect of reaching out from the digital world and interacting with the physical world and causing real serious damage. And so that was only 10 years ago. And then since then, there have been, you know, many uh, attacks, like, for instance, another nation state um, attack on the Ukrainian power grid. You know, you can shut people's lights out for 225,000 people for hours. And there's not, you know, and all the people in the control booth, these videos are on YouTube. They're completely helpless. They are like, what, what's going on now? We don't have control of our systems. And again, very real physical consequences. And then, as you mentioned, this has also gone from these type of nation-state attacks into private industry. And it's extremely expensive because that's where companies make their money. They don't make their money on the, the network and the IT department per se, but they make their money on whatever they produce. Uh, for instance, you mentioned Merck, Merck Pharmaceuticals. They're, they were down for nearly two months out of that attack. And the overall cost, the latest that I read on it just yesterday, uh, latest estimate of damage is 1.3 billion in losses. It's staggering to recognize the potential damage here. And then uh, even Norsk Hydro in, um, you know, less than one year ago, the world's largest supplier of aluminum, again, hit very similar type of attack scenario and uh, shut down their operations. It costs them, the latest estimates are 70 million plus. So, and it raises the worldwide price of aluminum. And in fact, even last month, there was an attack on a U.S. port, again, malware that spread deliberately targeting the industrial control systems, knocking out all the sensors, even knocking out the video surveillance, knocking out all the robots that are loading and unloading. They had to completely shut down the, the port. And so with these kind of disruptions from a digital um, threat actor have some very real-world consequences and result in tremendous, uh, tremendous impact and loss, in this case, for financial loss for companies. A very, very real threat to take into account. So this is a lot bigger than uh, our CEO can't make a phone call or can't get an email. <laughs> exactly. Uh, what is the, the, the vector for these kinds of things, uh, and how is it different from the way that IT folk typically think about security? Uh, how do these attacks come in? And, and you know, we want to try and get to, to CyberVision. How is Cisco uh, getting in the middle and, and um, uh, protecting organizations against this kind of yeah. attack? So great questions. And so, yeah, there's two vectors. There's the external attack, you know, and so this is where the companies say, well, as long as we're air-gapped or if we have firewalls in place, they're like, oh, we're done. And they think, okay, there's nothing left to consider. But more commonly, the attack is uh, through internally sourced malware. If you somehow get malware onto a computer that's plugging in to one of your systems, 
that's it. And that's the, more, the far more common scenario. So think about, you know, a, a factory floor with all these different robots going on and uh, multiple vendors, you know, could have, you know, Rockwell this, Siemens that, Fanuc machine here or there. All of these machines over time will need to have their firmware upgrades. So they'll call a technician to come out. And that technician, what if he's got some malware on his PC and as he's plugging in to do a completely you know, routine operation, and he's a certified technician, and he's vetted, and he's allowed, he gains physical access to the floor, plugs in. Now, the malware that he is on his computer from maybe a personal email that he triggered a link or whatever the case may be, is now spread into that factory floor, and almost all these factories are like large layer two networks that are flat, unsegmented, and there's no policy, no security. So it just spreads laterally like wildfire and just takes out huge chunks of uh, manufacturing and production. Or like Joe, the office worker who brings in the $10 camera to videotape his lava lamp. That's yeah, another biggie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So these type of attacks that yeah, inadvertently trigger malware, especially from internal sources. So that's far more common, but you know, it's not to say that uh, external attacks uh, are not something to consider. So what often happens is that there's just this limited thinking that, okay, uh, we've done security, we've addressed security because we've got a firewall, or even, you know, say we're air gap, but you know, these systems, several, several of them have been air gapped and can still be knocked out by uh, malware. I think we've learned in IT that having a, a hard shell and a squishy center yep. doesn't work. There so it sounds go. like the same thing holds true for OT as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then in the OT environments, there's never really been consideration of security because they've never had these type of requirements before. This is all new, especially now that they're digitizing. You know, it's an entirely new ballgame. And you got to think a lot of these OT devices, to IP enable them, it's just been kind of like an add-on thing. So the, the person that's owning the thing, the robot, for example, says, okay, I need to add an IP stack. What's the cheapest IP stack I can slap onto this thing? Who can I get that from? It's not written well, and it's very limited in functionality. So that even things like when the IT department is trying to help to say, hey, we need to identify your devices, which is the first step to security, because if you don't know what the device is, you have no way of attaching a policy exactly. to it. Uh, what is this device? Well, I need to know that, so I need to know who it's allowed to talk to, who it shouldn't be talking to, and all that. It all starts with that device identification. So the IT folks come around, they say, oh, I don't know what this device is, I'm going to do a port scan on it. And these port scans, you know, will literally knock over these flimsy little cheap IP stacks because they're just not meant to handle that. And, and then they take some machine out of production and stop a line. And that's expensive. Like, for instance, we talked to um, one automaker in, in Germany and they say, you know, on our line, if it's a choice of like, you know, stopping the line or just pulling off a car and writing it off, we pull the car and write it off. Absolutely. No questions asked, no hesitation. It's that expensive to have any type of interruption. So you, you take a device on that line offline because of some IT operation. This is where some of that bad blood starts to come into place between IT and OT. They're like, what are you doing? You just cost us so much money. And the IT people are like, well, we're only trying to help. We had no idea. Just wanted uh, to upgrade. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You it's not that easy. Your, yeah, you haven't updated your SSL stack in like five oh, years. It's, it's a really bad thing. Why? You know? So I, I have Why? some manufacturing customers, and they measure outages in terms of an hour in the hundreds of thousands and millions. There you go. So it's exactly that. Uh, even the smallest outage has serious financial implications to the business. And when you think about the reasons they don't go out and do those updates is, you know, at the end of the day, these companies know that they're at risk from a security standpoint, but uh, the executives are thinking, well, my duty is to the board and to the shareholders and revenue is more important right now because it hasn't happened yet. Exactly. And that's the problem because always security comes like after everything. It's like the last thought. Yeah. But I don't know if that's how, how Cisco is going to provide solution for that kind of attitude. Exactly. So this is where this cyber vision technology really comes into play and really um, brings a lot of value to these specific environments. So this uh, technology is a result of an acquisition we made last year, a company called Centrio based in Lyon, France. And you know they bring three key elements to the OT security space, right? So the first thing they do is device identification. They speak all the industrial protocols, and they can then use deep packet inspection and a, mun- a bunch of other techniques to identify what are all these devices. And f- companies don't know. You know, we, we, we talked to some large auto manufacturer in North America, and they said, oh, actually, you know, we know our devices. We have... We have a good inventory, and so we ask them more details and say, yeah, we keep it all in a spreadsheet. So periodically, the enter, you know, the make, the model, the serial number, I don't think they had the firmware, or, or the firmwares were way out of date. And then they were very proud. They go, we have about 95% of our assets inventoried. Wow. And it's like, okay, well, how many is that 5%? <laughs> Representing, it's like oh, it was over six thousand units that wow. uh, were unaccounted for. So you know, you could see that if you have only ninety-five percent of your attack surface covered with policies, provided we even get that far, you're still very much at risk. So we have to do a much you know cleaner um, and automated way of managing the inventory. So there's the first huge value add that CyberVision brings. It does the inventory, uh, it speaks the device's language, it gets collects the makes, models, serial number, firmware, and it presents the entire inventory of everything that's on the floor. So that's huge right there. Taking a step back, where does it sit and how does it collect that information? Is this a box I plug in or is this a service I run from the cloud? That's a brilliant brilliant. Further to his question, I wanted to elaborate a little bit on that question that maybe you can give us a more broader answer. So usually in classic networking environment, we have like pool methods, right? Yeah. So that's a little bit like outdated. CyberVision, my understanding is that relies on like a push method, right? So we have sensors and then the data is pushed to the to the controller or something like that. Is that correct? So, so we have full inventory discovery with different languages, different protocols? Yeah, so let me answer both questions. So CyberVision, there's two components to it. There's a sensor, and the best part about the CyberVision solution is that the sensor is software, and it runs on our network gear. So you don't have to, every other competitor in this space, they all sensor-based, and they will come in and they'll say, you need to add another piece of hardware, and add another piece of hardware every time you want a sensor. But since our sensors run, 
on our IE switches, on our IR routers, it's coming. And then on other, other platforms, it's running on the same networking gear that's already in place. So there's no incremental hardware. Then these sensors, they monitor all the traffic passively. Therefore, they're not interfering with any of the production communication. They're just passively monitoring, even doing the deep packet inspection. They understand the protocol and also what's the details of the transaction. So not just who's talking to who, but what is being said, even to the variable level. It's like, for instance, I talked about the example of Stuxnet, where they sent an instruction from the PLCs to the uh, centrifuges to spin up faster. Well, that variable of the speed to spin would be something that CyberVision could even detect and would report. That, hey, did you know yesterday you're spinning at 30 RPM? Now, today, your, your instructions are to spin at 35 or 40 or whatever the case may be. Even at that level of granularity, our sensors will pick up and report. From then, all these sensors that are in the networking gear, again, they summarize the conversations and then they send up a summary to a centralized controller, the CyberVision Center. And that traffic that's sent up represents 1% to 5%. So it's not like you're blasting all the traffic or spanning it or mirroring it and adding all this huge load to your network. You're just basically capturing the key elements of the conversation and writing a summary report that's continually monitored by uh, the uh, CyberVision Center. So that's also where the, all the inventory gets sent up. As soon as you discover a device, a device comes online, it ascertains who, what that device is and all these details, it sends it up. So yes, that's a push model, definitely. So it not, I'm sorry, so not, in a, not only discovers the inventory, so based on what you said, it also creates a baseline of, yeah. the, of the flow. Yeah, so I haven't gotten that far. So three key value propositions. First is a network, like visibility. What is on that network? Identify all your devices. That's the first value proposition. The second is operational insights, and I'll talk about that in just a moment, what we mean by that and uh, examples. And the third is anomaly detection. So part of that is baselining, hey, what is normal in this environment? Who is normally talking to who? And then if something has changed, highlight those change. Has a new device come online? Let me know about that. Is there a new type of conversation happening? Let me know about that. Even, like I say, at the variable level. Maybe it's the controller talking to the, the robot it's always talked to, but now it's telling it something different, something unusual. Let us know about that because that's an anomaly. That's different. And all of these things are reported. And it, it's an OT-friendly uh, tool. So it's very much geared to the OT environment as well as it brings the best practices of IT to the picture. For instance, if you say, okay, what is my inventory? It'll show the inventory, it'll show to the device, and also all the known security vulnerabilities of a given device. So it gives the CVSS scores of any given device as well as what to do to patch it. So it brings a lot of this best practices and security hygiene to an environment where that would never was present. So what you're saying is if we wanted to do an attack, we should go in when other devices are being installed because that's when you wouldn't detect the anomalous behavior because there's new devices being added. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say go and do an attack. Well, I'm, I'm not saying but we should, like, but, but hypothetically, hypothetically speaking, if I need a new career. There we go. go. If you, it, career is a high, say, don't call malicious me. actor. You sit and wait until it's time to execute Order 66. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. There you go. But let me also talk uh, about... Mm. Um, operational insights with the second key value proposition. So a lot of times in these environments, there's stuff going on that the operators are not even aware of. There's, you know, 
people could be breaking protocols or things like that and the supervisors might not even be aware. And I want to give an example. And this is, again, uh, a German automaker and that we worked with and we brought in CyberVision to their floor and then they came to us and we said, okay, let's run this and we'll give you some reports and we want to share one of the values we can share is operational insights. And so they said, okay, tell us, well, what didn't we know? What weren't we aware of? He said, well, did you know that there's a PLC on your floor that was updated overnight uh, between, from now and yesterday? And they said, impossible. There's a bug in your software. That doesn't happen. No, there's strict procedures on this. We only do that during scheduled maintenance downtimes, and that's not going to be scheduled for da-da-da-da, impossible. And then we said, okay. And then he was a little curious. Okay, well, where do, where do you think that was updated from? And then we said, well from this IP address, which was an IP address that was external to their organization. Dun, dun, they dun. go, absolutely wow. impossible. Absolutely. This is a bug in your system in because we face. have firewall. No, we have firewalls in place. There's no way that could even make a connection to do. firewalls? Tell me they weren't, but it was gone. I don't know. No, it, okay. it doesn't matter because okay. there's more to the story. And then oh, okay. we said, okay, well, now we know it's a bug. Okay. And then we said, we weren't satisfied. We didn't want to just concede. So we said, do you mind if we investigate this? We investigated it. And what had happened was that there was an OT worker that wanted to improve his line. And he was programming the PLC from his home. He did it from home that night after his shift and da, da, da. He, and then he phones a buddy in IT, says, this is what I want to do. You know, I want to do this to my line. Can you punch a hole in the firewall to allow me access? And his IT buddy's like, fine, then I'll, I'll plug the hole as soon as you're done. Sure enough, he opens it up, allows for the VPN to come in, and he programs it, makes the change. Then the guy closes the hole. Nothing malicious about this. Oh, that's good. But just the way that it was done was very unusual, and it was very invisible to the supervisor. He didn't know anything about this. And yet here's a major change that's happened wow. that affects his production. And we were talking about how sensitive these environments are and he doesn't even know it's happening. So giving insights like that to these operators is very valuable to them. So team, um, another question. Now, when it comes to uh, API integration, yeah. For different kind of, like, let's say I have a seam, I have a Splunk, I want to pump the data yeah. from my uh, cyber vision to my Splunk. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's a huge value. Again, another value add, because we don't just keep the, all the information to ourselves. Via APIs or even via PX Grid, we can share all this information with any, any subscriber you want. Let me give an example. By PX Grid, we can share with ICE, here's all these devices. Great. Now ICE, then, we can program a policy to say associate these devices with this scalable group tag. And now we can extend that even to DNA Center and software-defined access and now really leverage those abilities. That was a huge missing piece. Or let me say another example. Via APIs, we can share the device identity with, say, StealthWatch. StealthWatch says, hey, I see an IP flow from this source. I have no idea what that source corresponds to, but it's flowing across my network to this server. 
But now that you know what that source is, because you've correctly identified that thing via CyberVision, now you have a very clear and more insightful view as to the, what that conversation was all about. We also integrate with uh, Firepower Management Center so that you can program industrial firewalls based on the information of what the device is on and so forth. So yeah, all of this information from CyberVision is completely open and you know integrates with the broader multi-domain architecture or even third-party solutions. Fantastic. Actually, yeah. when I saw the uh, IoT APIs in action back in the DevNet zone, I literally yeah. turned white <laughs> because these, you know, the, the, the Cisco IoT devices, they run Python and all this other stuff. So now I can run well-documented APIs that can attack against those millions of times a second. And I was literally, oh, my God. That's, that's really scary. So it sounds like the, uh, the Cisco's really helping out with that. Yeah, exactly. So every, every advantage has a flip side if it's abused, right? So yeah, with the controller or with APIs, you can suddenly you know, automate more things and you can control more things and do good, but then it also has the potential as being an attack vector. So you have to take in security to all aspects of this solution because then you could do a lot of harm very quickly if it's... Uh, if it's abused. Yeah, it's things that keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned, um, you know, OT and, and getting new visibility and things like that. Does this displace SCADA systems or does this augment SCADA systems? They will never go away. <coughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely. It benefits in an augment SCADA. So the SCADA systems are there to manage the, the actual... Uh, the things, you know, through the industrial control systems to supervise those, uh, <coughs> whatever they are sensors, robots, actuators, so on and so forth, and to operate. This complements it by adding IT-level security for any of these devices that are connecting and communicating either with each other or with their PLCs, enforcing the right uh, security postures and policies. So you, for instance, this would really facilitate segmentation. We talked about how these networks are huge and large and fat, flat, and therefore, you could... Uh, yeah, they're also fat. They're also <laughs> fat. Yeah, people add so many devices and 6, some of these rings can be... For, exactly. Yeah. And so if malware is somehow introduced in the network, it spreads laterally. But all of these from a production environment through their industrial best practice models like the Purdue models or uh, different models for zones and conduits recommend segmentation for you, you should have only cells and only communication within the cells. And even certain devices, like a sensor, should only be talking to its uh, PLC that will receive the input. It shouldn't be talking to another type of machine. It would only be trying to talk to another type of machine if it was potentially infected and now wants to like scan, who can I talk to so I can spread uh, this infection that I have? So you, know, you can enforce these type of policies uh, with these tools because now you, know, you identify the devices with CyberVision, you share that information with ICE and PXGrid. You can then set a virtual network for your cell. Within that virtual network, you can have a micro-segmentation micro policy. And then you have really discrete, comprehensively automated enforced policies throughout your organization. It really improves the overall security posture. It therefore, complements everything that you want to do with your SCADA systems. So what them. I'm hearing that uh, the policy also can be integrated with DNA Center, right? Absolutely, oh. absolutely. So when nice we talk to ICE, ICE is you know hand in glove and talks to DNA Center and shares this, and therefore whatever 
of these scalable group tags uh, and devices you've assigned a NICE, they show up in the DNA center and then you can do your software defined access, for example. Fantastic. It's huge. Yeah. That's fantastic. I saw in the keynote today several uh, platforms, it looked like. I don't know if those are new announcements that came out today or if those are existing switches. No, they're, they're existing switches, but then they have the ability to run the CyberVision sensor. That's what's new. So that so, sensor ability is new. Yeah, exactly. And so this is where it really makes sense to run because we talked about how every other competitor in this space will bring in a hardware sensor. So if you have to bring in a new piece of hardware, well, then you got two problems. Either you're going to put it very low in the network to capture all the east-west traffic, and then you have to have a lot of hardware in place. So it becomes very expensive. Or if you put it at an aggregation layer in the network, then you're only catching the north to south traffic that's passing through that node, and you're missing all the east to west. So by having this sensor ability uh, in the network hardware itself, you're not bringing or adding new hardware, and it's very scalable. And so that's, that's a huge architectural advantage uh, that we have there. So what you were seeing there is that we have existing network hardware, i.e. switches like the 3000 series, 32, 33, 3400 series, IR router, IR1101. We also have an industrial compute um, platform that uh, this sensor runs on. Any of these can then you know, be used within the network as these cyber vision security sensors, as well as the other functions that they're already serving. So no additional hardware required. Fantastic. And so it, this is an over-the-top value add for existing exactly. IE customers. Yeah. yeah, and I was going to say one more thing is that sometimes people say, okay, well, what if I just span? And if I span the traffic to some other place, yeah. well, that just adds a tremendous load to the network. We don't have to do a span because we are passively monitoring all the traffic in line and they were not introducing new traffic to the network, so we're not loading it that way either. So neither from a hardware's perspective nor from a bandwidth perspective are we loading that network. So, so Tim, for CyberVision controller, yeah. uh, we, we have definitely OVA from development yeah. perspective. Do we have a UCS fa form factor as well or as a, as a physical no, appliance? No, just software. Just software, just software okay. at this point. But, you know, that may be something to consider. Okay. But... Uh, the software itself, the center software is very lightweight. And as I mentioned, it really uh, is OT friendly. Mm -hmm. And then it bring, brings some of the IT best practices to, to that domain as well. Just to change gears real quick. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the IT OT thing. We yeah. talked about this briefly before. Mm -hmm. If you haven't seen Tim's thing that he does at the show for IT OT, it's great. Okay, that, you, you got to be more specific because he's a great in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, like, so awesome person. Basically, he was the IT guy. Uh -huh. this other, I forget his name. This yeah. other guy was the OT guy. You know the operations guy out in the field with the, the construction hat and the, the, uh, the orange blazer and stuff. And he's saying he's running these things and if he's down, it costs him billions of dollars. And Tim on the other side is the IT guy was saying, well, you know, we need to update these things and reboot them every so often. <laughs> and it, it literally put in a, a fine dot on the eye of, of what the, the battle between the two. And it was, <laughs> it was hilarious, but uh -huh. it was perfect. That's it. IT rules. Uh -huh, wow. I'm pulling out my arrogant IT shirt. It says IT rules. Everyone has an ego. Mine is just bigger and better. <laughs> now, the reason, <laughs> to, to Ken's point, the reason that I was encouraged to put on a shirt like this, which I find 
personally kind of challenging to do because it's not my personality. But um, IT is very much perceived, like you, you said, Ken, it, it, there's, a, there's a cultural clash and IT is perceived as arrogant even before the conversation begins because they're the one driving this project. They think they have all these answers and they come in. We are these, here to internet you. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to solve all your problems and what you're doing is so outdated and... and the problem is never the network. Exactly. The we, side, we just heard about digital transformation and we need to make you digital. Yeah. We need to transform. Yeah, on the other side, you know, they don't want to pay the extra thousand dollars to put HTTPS and OpenSSL in their little module they add exactly. to, their, to their robots down on the floor. It's time, they say, well, it's times 500 or whatever it is. I'm going, well, yeah, you know, it's... It's, it's, it's really bad if you don't do that. And they just don't get it. They look at the dollars sometimes. Yeah. So that's the IT perspective of the OT people, that they're penny-pinching mongers. And <laughs> they're, they're just trying to make our lives completely miserable. And the other thing I want to mention about that thing, about intent-based networking, is you mentioned imperative and declarative, uh, yeah. the way that things work. And the reason that was funny to me is, like I said before, I have you talked about in a taxi driver scenario. You know, my buddy's an Uber driver in Boston who, by the way, is a doppelhanger for Rick Sherman of Puppet. If you've never met him, he's a great guy. Okay. But uh, the, the imperative you were talking about is, is detailed instructions. I mean, take a left, take a right, go, don't go down here, don't go down here. And it drives, it drives the Uber drivers crazy, right? And it's the same thing for the network stuff. And the other is declarative, where basically you tell it something's wrong, you've known it gone wrong the same time, 100 times before, go fix it. And I was wondering if I understood that right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's basically when it comes to programming, whatever, a computer, a network. However, there's two ways you can provide the instructions, just like you said, or even a taxi driver. There's two ways you can provide your instructions. You can do the imperative model where you break it down, detail-oriented, turn by turn, or you do the declarative model. This is the result I want. Take me to the airport. And then you leave it up to them as to how to get you there. You the can apply that. It's going to cause me a whole bunch of trouble because I'm going to screw it up because yeah. I'm going to do everything command line, yeah. which you shouldn't do. And all those 18 steps I need to do to repair it, I'm going to goof up one of those steps. I yeah. can guarantee it. Absolutely. That's why I like the intent-based. I'm into intent-based <laughs> stuff now. That's why I bring it up. That's our whole shift. And then that simplifies it has a tremendous um, potential for simplification via that abstraction. It's like, I don't care about the details. Focus on the result. Just get me the result. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have a last question? Yeah. I All actually right. have two questions quick. Is that Could fine? You, yeah. Have, yes. <laughs> no, no two-parters. Just ask a question. Yeah, Go yeah. on, man. Okay. I, okay. <laughs> so uh, back to CyberVision because yeah. that was an exciting announcement came through. Um, so just two quick questions. Uh, you mentioned about that CyberVision, even when it detects some anomaly and security threat, yeah. then it also give, provides us the CVSS information. So I just want to know where it taps into from threat intelligence perspective. Is it Cisco Talus? Yes, we're integrated okay. with Cisco Talus. And so, well, CVS scores are widely available. And then so, you know, we can we get that from general sources and manufacturers and right. bulletins and security advisories and so forth. But then we're also very closely engaged with Talos to, to continue to see what else can we do, given that we have these huge expertise and pieces yeah. in an architecture play. And that's really where we want to evolve these series of technologies, because we've got some real huge assets here that we want to leverage. Yeah, of course, Cisco Talos has 
eagle eye on the whole threat landscape. Exactly. So, yeah. And the last question from my side, what about licensing model on CyberVision? Is it smart licensing? You know, Quiet. we don't discuss licensing on the podcast. I'm going to deflect that question Season. to a, a product manager, but, uh, you know, just get in touch with your Cisco SE. Okay. You'll get all the details on licensing. Um, I'm on the technical side, so I don't really okay. follow the details. I know that they sometimes it can get a little complicated, but they're trying to s simplify and streamline that. But that's where I'd, I'd recommend you go enterprise for that. Agreement. There yeah. you go. Done. Always an enterprise agreement. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. See, I, I knew this would be delightful. So thank you, guys. This, this has been delightful for me, at least. Hopefully you enjoyed it. And thank you to our listeners. And if you want to listen to the to future or other episodes of Cisco Champion Radio, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Stitcher, on Spotify, and wherever the hell you want. All right. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. thanks, guys. Great conversation. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.